Husker Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. Hi, Britton. Hi, Matt. It's been so long since we've sat across the table and podcasted. Where have you been? Making you talk to your parents and, <laughs> and my mommy. And your mom. <laughs> it was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, the um, last one, two, three, four, I guess five episodes have been with our parents because we've been using them as guinea pigs before we go do uh, podcasts with other remote guests. And they were great sports about it. And I loved hearing the stories, especially childhood stories about you. Well, childhood stories about me are always the most entertaining. <laughs> and I got a text from a friend. Hi, you know who you are saying your mom is so sassy. (laughs) (laughs) Apples don't fall far from the tree. True story. (laughs) So I thought today uh, we could just start off with a a bright and cheery topic, maybe. How about we talk about people getting defrauded out of lots and lots of money? Okay, that's not bright and cheery, but we could go in that direction. It's a gray and rainy day as we record this podcast. Let's be, it's an atmospheric river deluging our fair city. Do you remember when weather was just weather? Now yeah. everything is like like the Super Bowl of storms, right? Like it doesn't just rain anymore. It's like the storm of the century and atmospheric river. And I mean, yes, like weather is more extreme climate change, but it just seems like uh like do we really need marketing for the weather? I think atmospheric river is really a thing. I believe it. I, I mean, you can step outside and feel it. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, look at my hair. It's quite humid. It is quite humid. But you know what? On a podcast, you can never have a bad hair day. Oh, thank God. True story. So while we are being deluged with rain, buyers and sellers are being deluged with online scams. It's very true. If if these online scammers would use their powers for good, the world would be a better place. However, using their powers for bad gets them lots and lots of money. Very, I won't say easily. But it is kind of easy. You know, actually, the FBI came in and did a presentation for us last year for the San Francisco Association of Realtors. And one of the fascinating tidbits uh, that I came away with was that the average bank robber that, you know, puts on a ski mask, goes in in person, holds up a bank. If you get out of there, you're probably going to make it out with about 4000 bucks. Right. However, if you are successful in pulling off a cybercrime, uh, email heists, uh, phishing, whatever it might be, the average take, $130,000. That's a lot of bank holdups. With no weapons involved and no ski masks, no video cam. I mean, you get a certain, yeah. uh, you know, they're most likely not even in the country where they're doing it from. You know, so they're just kind of hanging out by the pool hacking. Yeah, they're really sophisticated and really, unfortunately, very successful. And this is a growing and an ever-growing problem. And yes, not only really sophisticated, but really interested in San Francisco real estate. Well, because, you know... Because the, the the dollar figures attached to our deals are so huge. I mean, when you when you have a third of our deals are all cash, and our median sale price is as of yesterday, it was announced it's a million six now. So there's just a lot of money being wired uh, from buyers to title companies and from title companies to sellers. And so the the goal is to break in. Someone hacks into someone's email. But And the scary thing about having someone hack into your email is you don't know that they've done it. 
There's, there's right. no, there's, nothing, nothing looks different to you. It's not like you come home and your front door's busted in. Right. Um, you have no idea. And, and it may not even have been your email that was hacked because right. if they get to uh, a brokerage transaction coordinator or someone else in the brokerage that leads them back to like other people, you know, they get a foothold in one place and boom. And they network, see all the information. Right? Yeah. So say it's a title company person whose email was hacked. And I'm, I mean, that I've. I'm, oh, great. I'm, We're going to get calls from title company reps. I, now. I was just going to say. Our email yeah. would never be hacked. But I mean, of course, the brokerages and the title companies and the lenders all have beefed up their online security tremendously since all of this started. But I'm just using that as an example, because if someone broke into the email of a title company, they would see all the back and forth with escrow officers, lenders, buyers and sellers about how much money is supposed to go on what day. Account numbers. Account numbers. Bank um, names. Yeah. So there's a lot of information and the, these, the hackers break in through one email point, see all of these emails. They get the information they need. They send the buyer false, um, wiring instructions via email. And then suddenly the buyer, the buyers, or they, or they pretend to be the seller and send the title company new wiring instructions. Yeah. I was going to get to that part. Um, (laughs) but so from the buyer side, the buyer gets a set of false wiring instructions and it's very, I don't know that they usually go for the initial deposit of the 3% because that's, it's still way more than a $4,000 bank robbery, but it's, way less than the remainder of their 20 or 30 or 40% down or their cash purchase for $2 million. So they get these fake wire instructions. And unless they call the escrow officer and verify them immediately before sending their wire, their money will usually go to one account. um, And as soon as it arrives, it is wired out overseas within seconds. And that's it. The FBI. Yeah, that's actually your one moment to try and do something is if you can catch it quick enough. Um, there is the, the short period of time where the funds haven't actually left the country, even though the, the transfer has been initiated. But generally, yeah, once the money is out of the country, it's. It goes from one account to one account. They, we, like the FBI and, you know, has such limited jurisdiction outside the United States. Um, and it requires other countries cooperating with our law enforcement agencies. But let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the other things that you, you said a second ago really stood out to me, um, which was you talked about how, you know, title companies and, and various banks, because they were the kind of first ones attacked to really beefed up their security. Um, and that means uh, the FBI, when they came, gave this great uh, kind of analogy that if you're a burglar, and you walk up to a house with a locked door, what do you do? First thing you're going to do is just try and go next door and see if it's unlocked. Right. So um, because the banks and title companies have upped their game, put locks on their doors finally, if you will, guess whose doors are still mostly unlocked? The brokerages. And consumers. Right. So it's important, you know, that when you're in this process of, you know, thinking of buying or selling a house, you're absolutely... Uh, everyone wants the convenience that comes with online, you know, activity in terms of trading documents, information, speed. It's a, it's a great benefit, but there's a trade-off, which is security. And email is a very insecure platform. So it's not the one you want to be using ever for your personal documents. And if you're going to be involved in a real estate transaction, make sure you beef up security on that account. Namely, two-factor authentication. 
Two FA, it's our friend. It can be a pain in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) But we do it. Everyone in our brokerage does it. We insist. We require it because this stuff, it's the real deal. It's the real deal. We're entrusted with an incredible amount of information uh, about our clients' lives. And normally that's kind of happened face-to-face. They might tell us why they're you know, moving or buying or, or kind of... We're a part of their life for a moment in time. And we are incredibly vigilant about guarding and being protective of that information. Yet, because we can't see this other stuff, we forget about it, but we have the same duty and obligation. And around here, we take it that seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I start telling clients, sometimes even at our very first meeting, like, I will never send you wire instructions. So if you get wire instructions that appear to be sent from me, they are fake. Do not do anything. I tell people that I tell the escrow officers, I don't want them. Don't send them to me because I don't want them to accidentally end up in my inbox. And don't send them to the client. <laughs> you know, pick up the phone and call. Exactly. And I had a I had a remote signing the other day for a seller. Um, the mobile notary and I met the client at his office. And that mobile notary who was there on behalf of the title company said, I need your wiring instructions. You need to, you know, print them on this sheet of paper for me. And my client was trying to get his banker on the phone to get the numbers. And it would, you know, blah, 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 whatever. He couldn't get them right then. And, um, the guy said, well, I'm sorry. I, if, if you can't give them to me right now, we're going to have to reschedule this whole thing. Yeah. And because he is not allowed to do anything except have them handwritten by the client on the paper that he takes and physically sends via FedEx to the escrow company or drops off by hand. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the client got his banker on the phone and we got it, but it was just, I mean, that's how seriously everybody's taking this stuff right now because he was, he was getting a wire for over a million bucks. Yeah. And if... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it used to be in the olden days, if you were selling signing papers, all you really needed to do was show up with the driver's license. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, I'll call you with those. We'll get it. We'll take care of, you know, but no. Well, and I, I, had a, <laughs> I had a buyer client and I had him so paranoid about this stuff. He was going to, he was, and I felt bad because then I realized I went overboard. He didn't want to have the piece of paper on his person when he was taking Bart to work. And I said, it's really okay. <laughs> Um, that, and that was for his, that was when he was a buyer with us. And I mean, I didn't mean to freak him out that much, but I just, I mean, I try to make people realize how important this is. Um, when you said BART, you made me remember the, the BART metaphor that I, I've been using when I've talked about this with other agents, which is that, you know, sending instructions for wires over email is essentially like, you know, getting a suitcase stuffed with cash and hopping on BART with it, and it's got like 20 bills bulging out the side, and you're like trailing Benjamins down the hallway. And you're I mean, going, don't look at me, don't right, look like, at me. Nothing here to see, no money. So, yeah. Um, two-factor authentication on your email account. Don't use the same password for every account. I'm not going to get into the pros and cons of a password manager. That's a whole nother debate. But your email password should not be the same password as anything else. I know it's a pain. That's a real pain. I know. And, and I'm guilty. Britton Jackson. That's not my password. <laughs> oh, well, look at you going. 
my password is not password. <laughs> Congratulations. I might be old, but I'm not that stupid. Um, so if folks don't want to use email, but they are still digital, what are some options? Um, they can use Slack. We use Slack around here. We've, Which we've invited uh, clients to channels. That's encrypted end to end. Um, iMessage. Yep, iMessage. If the the bubbles are blue on both sides, that's uh, encrypted end to end. That's iPhone to iPhone, right? iPhone to or even or, iPhone to iPad or yeah, iDevice to iDevice. It's Mac to Mac. <laughs> um, if you stay within the Apple universe, you will be safe. <laughs> is that really a hundred percent true? No. So we shouldn't say that that's a safe uh, the the blue bubble to blue bubble. Well, a blue bubble to blue bubble is end to end encrypted, okay. but is staying inside the Apple universe going to keep you safe? No, but blue to blue is encrypted and safe. I was just speaking kind of more at a general platform walled garden level. Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I just so far over my head. Um, you can also use WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Well, What's I don't up, know if man? we should be recommending any of the Facebook suite of products at the moment. Exactly. Let's cross you that can. one off. You could, though, if should you want. Well, actually, that's an interesting one because uh, WhatsApp is supposed to be or says they're encrypted end-to-end. So if they're encrypted end-to-end, uh, Facebook shouldn't be able to read those chats either. But I don't know. Uh, Skype is also encrypted end-to-end at this point. So those are four options that are not email that are widely available. What's another thing you can do? You can always, before you are sending or receiving a wire, calling the escrow company and verifying either that they have your correct instructions for an outgoing wire that will arrive in your account or that you have the correct wiring instructions for money that is going from your account to the escrow company. And you don't just take the email signature, you say... Joe Schmo, your escrow officer, says, here's your escrow instructions. Don't take the phone number from the email signature because if it's Joe Schmo sitting in his mother's basement in Moscow, isn't it Joe Schmoski? Chances are there's a fake phone number in there. So get the number from a reliable spot like Google. Yeah, the scams have gotten sophisticated. Yeah. That Very means, sophisticated. Yeah, you'll get an email that looks exactly like every other email you've gotten from your escrow officer, but it's conveniently with fake information, with fake wiring instructions. Are you scared yet? <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, they'll they'll be off by like one letter. You know, like um, instead of coming from at generic title company spelled correctly dot com, they'll misspell one often misspelled letter. You know, and then everyone, you know, do you spell check the email address you get every email from? No, we don't. You know, people move fast and that's what they take advantage of. And there's also an interesting, you know, pace and timing to transactions of, you know, there are moments where it's just kind of like a pause because the bank's processing a part of it or whoever's kind of doing their, their chunk. Um, but then there are moments where it's like, hurry up and do it right now. And if you don't do it by right now, the world, you know, the deal falls apart. Well, and, uh, and, and those are the moments where people tend to move really quickly. And that's, that's what they're hoping for. And there's also um, something to look out for is say your name is Chris. Your full name is Christopher, but you go by Chris. And then suddenly you get an email that's addressed to Christopher. Right. Then you go, huh, my escrow officer has always called me Chris. And suddenly my escrow officer is calling me Christopher. 
It's just, I mean, I'm just using that. No, those are like the little social clues that uh, are the best tip-offs. Yeah. Um, you know, last year, the association, their email was was spoofed or scammed or whatever. And an email went out pretending to be from our CEO, who everyone knows as Walt or, you know, Mr. Bukowski. But, you know, the email was signed Walter. Like, you know, even when he yells at me, he's not Walter, right? He's just Walt. <laughs> No, you yelling. <laughs> so I hope we're not making people completely paranoid, but you should be a little bit paranoid though. Yeah, you, you really you, need you to just be careful. Well, you can't be glib, right? Yeah. If I was wiring a thousand dollars or if I'm wiring I mean, I just went through this when Brian and I bought our place up in Albion. Your real was, house. My real house. Congratulations. Was, thank you. I was transferring the rest of our twenty percent and there were many steps that we that we went through to make sure that our money went to the right place. And I and this was of course not San Francisco County, it was Mendocino County. And I thought, huh, I wonder if they're as paranoid about this as we are. And I called the escrow officer and I said, Yeah, I'm calling to verify the um wiring instructions and she said, Oh good. Not everybody does that. <laughs> um, and for those of you that are, are curious about what Britain's real home is, uh, back in episode 24, uh, we did uh, an episode about her real home. Um, and, and listen, it's, it's a fun story. So, <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that that was going to be such a part of our lexicon, Britain's uh, real house? Yeah. Um, if people don't want to wire at all, do they have an option? They do. Duffel bag full of hundred dollar bills. Not really. <laughs> um, the 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 option is a cashier's check, and, and or a, even a personal check in at the, the beginning. I, I was just going to say in the in a real estate transaction, the the initial deposit, the three percent, can be paid by personal check because there's a long enough time for that check to clear and for the escrow company to verify what it's ha- that it has what's called good funds. A personal check can't be used for the final. Because that usually comes in just a couple days before closing. And even though the money, whatever, it has to be a cashier's check. Yeah, there's flow. There's there's flow and undoableness to personal checks. Yeah. So you can. But a um, cashier's check is a non negotiable monetary instrument. Well, aren't you fancy? And this is actually, um, as a, as an aside, I'm the chair of the person, uh, the standard forms committee at SFAR this year. And, um, last year when I was the vice chair, I sort of pushed and pushed and pushed to have, um, some changes made and put a reference to wire fraud in the contract. And one of the things that I was thinking of bringing up again is years ago, back before everyone started wiring their funds for, because it was easy, the contract defaulted to your deposit would be made by personal check. And then if you were doing something else, you had to check a box and say wire, um, whatever. But now it defaults to you. It'll be sent by a wire. And if you want to send by check, then you have to change, you know, check the box that it's by check. I think we should change it back. I think some of the stuff, I mean, you go old school, you fax your wiring instructions. But then we'd have to like go to the Best Buy and get a fax machine. Oh, that's true. And, and, a, have, and a landline. Right? <laughs> the landline would be the problem. The landline would be the hard thing to get. You know, that would take like six years from Comcast or AT&T if they still even offer them. Oh, I had to deal for my real house again. I had to deal with AT&T because we want a landline up there. <gasps> oh. Well, see, they wouldn't want to make it easy because you could just walk into the store and grab a mobile phone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's actually a brokerage in town whose uh, policy is that all deposits for real estate transactions or received funds should be in the form of a cashier's check. And that anyone acting other than that way is acting against the advice of their brokerage. 
they're trying to do what they can to protect their clients. So, I mean, I think it's, it's an option, you know, clients should be aware of and absolutely if they've got the time and can do it, but there's, you know, it is a little inconvenient to get a cashier's check. It can be, especially if you're traveling or other things and you can wire safely, you know, you can wire safely, but you have to, to go into it eyes wide open, make sure that you've secured your accounts, that you've done the right things, you know, and at the end of the day, if, if it's a crazy, enormous once in a lifetime check, come on, pick it up as a cashier's check, you know? Yeah, exactly. Make it an experience. Take a picture of it. Yeah, you know. I mean, maybe we should start offering to like take people to the bank to get their cashier's check. <laughs> it's fun. Like, when else do you go to the bank and like talk to a teller anymore? I went when I had to get like four thousand dollars in cash for the Zephyr office staff gift, and I said, "Could I?" I had because I had taken all these um, contributions and like checks yeah. and Venmo, and. So I was just going to convert it all to cash and I asked for hundreds and they didn't have any hundreds. They gave me $4,000 in twenties. I felt like such a gangster. <laughs> my, I had to take stuff out of my purse to get all that money in there. Oh, uh, you should have taken your buffet purse. <laughs> it's my grandmother. <laughs> all right. So stay secure, be aware. Uh, if you've got more questions, reach out to us. We've got a nice PDF you can download from our websites about this. And uh, stay secure out there. Be safe. Ask Her Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. Whoa.